All right, good morning. Good to be with you again. Um, we are in the midst of a series of messages this summer out of the book of Psalms, and so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 3, which we'll be looking at this morning. Now, um, when we were given uh, this opportunity, when I was given this opportunity, I was going to speak once in June, once in July, and once in August for Pastor Phil as he's away on sabbatical. I trust that you are praying for our pastor. Um, pray that he would be rested during this time away. Pray also that God would clearly speak to him as he's studying God's word and is working through some things that he wants to uh, get accomplished, I know, while he's away. And so do keep him in your prayers. But uh, Phil had assigned to me a, a psalm, this Psalm 3, and then another one for August that I was supposed to do. And then I received an email from the office uh, back in late June uh, asking us to all the different speakers that we're going to be sharing this summer uh, to identify what psalm they're going to be speaking on. And I thought, why does everybody else get to choose what psalm they're going to be speaking on? And I was given two psalms by Pastor Phil. I don't know the answer to that yet. I will pick that up with Phil at some point in the future. But I did notice that Phil's on for the very last Sunday in, in August when the series is supposed to be completed. And so I sent an email back and I said, is, does Phil have a psalm? And they said, well, not that we're aware of. And I said, well, let me suggest one for him. <laughs> so my suggestion was Psalm 119. <laughs> Thought he's been away for a long time and so he'll have lots to share with us. So if you're coming that weekend, bring something to eat. Um, <laughs> We may be here a little longer than normal, so I look forward to that Sunday. We're going to be looking at uh, Psalm 3, where David encounters uh, a situation that we'll unpack for you in a few moments, but it's about the storms of life, and uh, living in our province right now, we're quite aware of storms that come, and uh, fires that are all around, and the different things that are happening, and, and these are things that often we don't bring on ourselves, they just take place. And so we have to find ways to respond to them. And David, I think, in this psalm will give us sort of a, a process that perhaps will help us uh, if we're in a storm right now or if we're going to be coming into a storm in the days ahead. But let me pray for us first and ask God to speak through, uh, through me and uh, for us to be able to have ears to hear what God wants to say to us this morning. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for who you are that your character does not change in the midst of the storms of our lives. And Father, we think of those within our province right now who are um, going through incredible storms, through the loss of uh, homes and um, a variety of other things that are possible there, God, who are wondering when are they going to get back home, when are they going to get back to where they want to be, uh, others who are just displaced this weekend, we pray, God, that your good hand of grace would be felt by these individuals who are going through this horrible time. And Lord, as we walk through Psalm 3 this morning, we ask that you would teach us, instruct us, um, encourage us, and equip us for the days that lie ahead in our lives. And so we give you thanks and we give you praise, Lord. In the matchless name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen and amen. It was a number of weeks ago when I was reading an article and I came across this statement that I want to share with you and, and use as sort of a, uh, an intro to our topic this morning about the storms of life. And the individual wrote and they said this, and I quote, you are either in a storm 
leaving a storm or getting ready to enter a storm. So when I first read that, I just stopped right there and I thought, that guy's got a pessimistic outlook on life. You're either in a storm, leaving a storm, or about to enter a storm. And so I wasn't sure, and I thought through it a little bit more, and I thought, well, I I probably need to get some advice on this. And so uh, um, I went to the source of all knowledge and uh, posted it on Facebook (laughs) and and asked for feedback, which I don't know what kind of friends you've got on Facebook, but my friends love to give me advice if I ask for it on Facebook. And so I posted that that quote, and then I said, you know, what do you think? I mean, is this accurate? Is it uh, a little pessimistic? Uh, Give me some feedback. And, And I got lots. Um, but the one that I liked the best was from a, uh, a young mom named Julie who has a couple of preschool toddlers and, and she wrote back to me and she said, Russ, if you have preschool toddlers, that's always true. You are either in a storm, having just come through a storm, or about to go into a storm because you have toddlers in your house. I don't have toddlers and I'm thankful for that at this point in my life. But I think as I've worked through that and, and looked at this psalm now, I think there's some truth there and I think there's some help from David in, in Psalm 3. And the reality is, is that we just never know when the storms of life are going to come, do we? We don't know. I mean, there's times when, yes, we can see something coming down the horizon and we think, okay, this doesn't look like it's something that I want, but often they just arise and come out of nowhere. I have a friend in Saskatoon where I used to live and pastor and um, He's in his 40s and uh, was just recently diagnosed with cancer. He's got two young teenage boys in his home. And this morning, he's been given about 30 months to live. And this morning, he posted this on Twitter. He said, I'm off to Prince Albert National Park for some funeral photos today. It's just something that needs to be done. Wow. Jordan, within the past few weeks was given a storm that he was not prepared for, that he did not see coming, but he walked out of a doctor's office and received that news, and his life had changed. David encounters a storm that possibly he saw coming because it's a storm with his son Absalom, but possibly as well it was a bit of a surprise, and so now he's going to respond, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so let me just read through Psalm 3 for us, and then we'll unpack it step by step as I see an outline here for how we can walk through the storms of life. Verse 1 says, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. And from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Well, let's walk through the outline and see if we can't find some tangible helps for how to walk through the storms of life. And and verses 1 and 2 give us the first step when the storms come our way. I I think we need to be honest and identify the realities of our situation. You see what David does is he writes out what's happening to him. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. He's identifying the issues. 
Now the story is unpacked more fully for us in 2 Samuel chapter 15 where we see that Absalom over a period of about four years had, had uh, went to the, to the city gates prior to the people entering into the city and had said to them, hey, if you've got a problem, come to me and, and I'll help you because there's no one in there that's going to help you. And so over this process of time, he began to woo the hearts of the people away from his father, David, and to himself. And it was a master strategic plan that he had in place to take over the throne from his dad. Now, we also know at this point in time, David's not necessarily winning any awards for being father of the year in many respects as well. But his situation now is his situation. And scholars tell us that it's probable, we don't know for absolute certainty, but it's probable that David was penning this on the morning that he was about to go into battle with his son. Just think about that. He's got to go to war with his son. And he starts off by saying, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? And many are saying of me. Hmm. In case I read that just a little too quickly for you, let's again picture this storm that David's in. Because he says in verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? And many are saying of me, God will not deliver them. The deck is stacked against him. David had many, many people who did not want him to succeed at this point in time. He had people who were directly opposed to him. He had people who knew of his faith in God, and they said God's not going to deliver him. They were pounding even upon his own relationship with God Almighty, saying it's not going to work this time. The negative forces have arrayed against him, and the deck is stacked, and it's not just one problem, but it's a host of growing problems as more and more people array themselves against David. Sometimes, when we encounter the storms of life, it's not just one storm, is it? I've been amazed in my years of pastoring how often it's been that I've encountered people who enter into a storm, maybe it's financial, and while they're in this financial storm, they get word that health has now become a problem. And then there's another word about children having marital issues, and, and, and the list seems to grow, and it's not just one thing that they're dealing with. If it was just one, they could, they could attack it and walk through it and get through it, but it, it seems there's one and another and then another. And I don't have the answer as to why that happens. David had many who had risen up against him. Maybe today this is your current reality, and maybe you can relate to King David, and so we need to continue to walk through and unpack the psalm. The first is simply to be honest. So if you're a note-taker, be honest, identify the storms. Don't sugarcoat it, don't uh, spiritualize it, don't sweep it under the carpet pretending it's not happened. Be honest and say, this is what's going on in my life right now. And then we get to verse 3, which is so, so good. He's identified the issues, and then he says in verse 3, But you are a shield around me, O Lord. I love the buts in Scripture. This changes the whole psalm right here. From verse 2 to verse 3, there's a, a dramatic shift in both emphasis and tone as David has identified the storm, but he's also now beginning to say, but there's something else going on here. 
David was the king, or is the king, whatever way we want to phrase it in light of the fact that he's had to run out of the, the city. And we see that again in, uh, in 2, Samuel verses, um, 2 Samuel 15. It talks about David leaving, and he's weeping as he goes. But in chapter 3 of the Psalms, in verse 3, he says, But, after listing the realities, he says, But... It's like, that's the reality, but I'm not stuck there. I'm not stuck there. If you're wondering about this word but and how important it is, you can do a study of this in Scripture and and go through and just look up every time you come across the word but. But let me just give you one in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, where again we see a tone change that happens significantly. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus is talking to Simon Peter, and this is what he says. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. That's a storm. The verse doesn't end there, though. He says, but, Jesus speaking to Simon, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith will not fail. What a change in tone. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. There's a storm coming, Simon. I'm pointing it out to you, but... I have prayed for you. David says, I've got thousands arrayed against me, but he then speaks to God. He says, you are a shield around me. I know there's forces arrayed against me, but you need to understand, I've got a God who is for me. The children just sang that to us a moment ago at the start of this service. I've got a maker who is for me who loves me, who knows me, who wants to watch over me, who's waiting for me to turn to him. In all of this untold grief that David is enduring, he stops and he says, but you're a shield around me. And then he goes on to say that you bestow glory on me. And I looked up that word glory trying to understand what it means, and and it's a word associated with weight. And uh, it's talking about battle. And when men went out into battle, they went as lean as they could be and the light as they could be to go into battle so they could be agile and fight. But when they had won the victory, they come home with their plunder and they have this weight of glory to bring home. They're heavier now with glory, with the plunder, with the good things that have happened. And so David says of God, you are a shield around me and you bestow on me glory. This weight, this good thing that God's going to do. David knows who's in charge. You are a shield around me. You bestow glory on me. You lift up my head. Moves from that position of shame where your head's bowed to the position of confidence where your head is raised. You, God. David knows who's in charge. This morning, do you know who's in charge in the midst of your storm? Because there is one who's higher than the storm who's bigger than the storm, who's more powerful than the storm, who is there in the midst of your storm. And then we get to verse 4. And so we've got this statement of reality, verses 1 and 2. And then we have a but in verse 3. Again, the focus changes to be looking up at God. And then in verse 4 and verse 7, we have the cry that comes from David's heart, which is, 
an option that is always available to us in the midst of every storm that you and I will ever face. Because in verse 4, he says, To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. Verse 7, Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw and break the teeth of the wicked. David knew who was in charge, and so he turned to him in the midst of his storm because he knew that this God has the power and the authority. And it's not just this quiet little passive prayer that David prays, but it's a cry from the heart of a man who knew that at this point in time he needed God's help. I referenced earlier 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 30, which says, David continued of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, his head was covered and he was barefoot. He goes from being king to Absalom usurping the throne and stealing the hearts of the people and David now is sneaking out of the city weeping as he leaves. But that's not where he stays. Because verse 4 and verse 7 remind us that David turns to God. He turns to the one who it says in verse 4 is on his holy hill. He answers me from his holy hill. And again, scholars tell us that that's the position of authority. So David turns to the one who has the authority. In the midst of his storm, he wants to call out to God and he cries out to him. And he's sure that God hears because he says he answers me. In the midst of our storms, do you have that level of confidence that your God hears your prayer? Or are we sending up prayers with simply a hope that somehow, some way, maybe in the midst of all the prayers that are being offered up to God, I hope that he'll hear mine? Let me clarify for you. He hears your prayer. Let me go beyond that. He actually knows the sound of your voice. There's been the odd occasion in my life when I've been in a room with uh, many little children and, and lots of moms. And I'm always amazed how it is that in the midst of that room full of people, that when one trips and falls and begins to cry, the identifiable mom comes to that voice because she's heard that sound before and she knows that that's her child. Do you believe that upon the billions of people that are on the face of this earth, that when your voice cries out to God, his ears absolutely tuned and he knows the sound of your cry? Because it's true, people. He knows the very sound of your voice. If you were here last week when Sid was preaching, he was preaching out of Psalm 139, where we learned again how our God has knit us together in, his, in, in our mother's womb, and he knows every aspect of us because he wired us himself. And so not only does he know the sound of your voice, he gave you the voice that you have. So of course he knows the sound. He gave it to you. My daughter was telling me that this past week she was sitting at the table with her husband and three-year-old daughter and her daughter was asking about the color of her eyes and where they came from. And so being good parents, mom and dad walked her through the process of how the gene pool gets mixed when men and women get together and moms and dads have children and, and uh, she got the color blue because mom and dad was blended and that's what it came out. And she looked at him and she goes, that's not true. God gave me the color of my eyes. <laughs> I texted back to her when she sent me that message. I said, you can't argue with the logic of a three-year-old, can you? <laughs> if she will continue to grow, 
and grab hold of those truths that are biblically based that her God knit her together in her mother's womb and that every step of her journey, he will watch and walk with her. And as she turns her life, hopefully in the days ahead, over to embrace Jesus Christ as her personal savior, she will discover how profoundly that heavenly father who created her, who made her, who knit her together, loves her and has plans and dreams and purposes for her. Wow. But as adults, we can get pretty rational about lots of things in our spiritual journey and we forget that when we cry out to God, his ear is actually tuned to our cry knowing exactly who it is that's crying out. And like David, we can say, to the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. Now can I promise you that every answer is going to be the solution to your particular problem? No. But again, I came across a great statement this morning as I was up early reading, and I wrote it down. And a man named E. Stanley Jones wrote this, and he said, In an atmosphere of prayer, my fears are not solved so much as dissolved. That's great. Because I'm not going to promise you this morning that as soon as you cry out to God, all the storms of your life are going to end. But what I will say is that the more time that we spend in prayer with him, the more our fears will not be so much solved as they will be dissolved because we'll learn to trust the Father. That he knows what to do in the midst of our storm and how to walk us through the process that he himself has got for us in the midst of our storm. David calls in verse 7 for God to arise and to act. He's cried out to God. It's a a model for you and I to follow. There's no problem with asking God to deal with the the storms that we're in. We call out to him. We cry out to him. We keep calling out to him. And don't mistake what we would perceive as his silence, as his lack of care, but rather there's a plan that's unfolding in his time that he's asking us to trust him in the journey, to walk with him through this time. What does David do next? Well, in verse 5, we see that there's trust that happens now. Because he's identified the problem, he's taken that butt and turned his eyes towards God, he's cried out to him, and after crying out to him, then he says in verse 5, I will lie down, or I lie down and sleep, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side, verses 5 and 6. After praying, David sleeps. So important because it's a position of trust. We pray and then we turn it over to God. But if you're anything like me, I pray, turn it over to God, and then I take it back again and worry and fret and try to figure out a solution myself. David says, I woke again for the Lord sustained me. He knew where his help came from and he had complete trust in his God. And he goes on to say that he won't be afraid even though tens of thousands have set themselves against him. Why can David be so confident? Why can he sleep? Why can he trust? It's because he knows his God. You see, there's pages and pages in this book that unfold again and again and again the character of God and his desire for relationship with us. It's the story of his opportunity or his offer of salvation to us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But if we don't spend time getting to know him, then when the storm comes, we're not necessarily ready to trust him 
And that's why it's important that in the calm days of our lives, in particular, that we take the time to get to know the Father because the storms are going to happen. And when we deepen that relationship, then when the storm arrives, we can say, I trust him. There's this great story in 2 Kings that I just love so much where Elisha has caused problems for the king of Aram to the point where Aram asks his, the king of Aram asks his advisors, who's in my bedroom that he can even tell the very words that I speak? And they say, well, there's this guy named Elisha. And he says, go and find him. And so they go and find him, and then they send chariots and, and, and horsemen and all kinds of people to go, and they want to destroy him. And so they find him in this place called Dothan. And the report came back, he's in Dothan. And then they said horses and chariots and a strong force there. And they went by night and they surrounded the city. So it was a surprise attack. And so Elisha's servant gets up early in the morning. And it says in verse 15, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. I love Elisha's response. He said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I love to have seen the servant's face at that point in time because he's already been out and he's seen the city surrounded. And then he sees his master sitting there saying, don't worry about it, man. There's more who are with us than there are against us. And he's looking at Elisha and himself and then looking up at the round, they're surrounded. So what does Elisha do? It says, Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Verse 17. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. This morning, some of us probably need to have our eyes opened to see that there are more arrayed for us because we have a God who is for us than there are arrayed against us in whatever storm it is that we are facing. David could trust because he knew his king. The conclusion is verse 8, and it's just a a statement of of fact and a request. He says, from the Lord comes deliverance, and may your blessing be on your people. The statement of fact is simply that deliverance comes from God. David knows this well. But in the midst of the storm, he wants to remind us that this deliverer has not forgot who we are. And the request actually closes out the psalm for us, and it's interesting, because David was a king who loved his people, was not perfect in any way, shape, or fashion, but as he closes this out, now remember, he's about to go into battle with his son, Absalom, and he says, God, may your blessing be on your people. Wow. It was a month ago when I spoke here last, and I talked about blessings, and about how in the Old Testament, the blessings were a lot about stuff, but in the New Testament, the blessings about the relationship with Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.3 says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So when David's praying this, may your blessing be on your people, he has a heart and a concern that his people in the midst of this would know that God is at work. In the midst of your storm, it could be that it's time for you and I to be praying that God would pour out his blessing on those around us so that they would see God's hand at work in our storm that we're facing. Interesting. Interesting. 
We so often don't get to choose our storms. We may be the creator of our storms, but we don't get to choose them often. We don't get to choose when they come. We don't get to choose when the storms are often finished. We do, however, get to choose how we will live while we're in the midst of the storm. David acknowledged the reality of his storm. David then put a but in the midst of his storm, choosing to refocus on the shield around him and not on the storm itself. David had a relationship that was established that he turned to in the midst of his storm. And with that relationship intact, David was able to trust God and ask him to bless those around him. I don't think it's a bad formula for you and I to follow as we encounter the storms that will come our way. The worship team is going to come and lead us in a closing song this morning.